Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ball Caps and Bagpipes, Scottish Baseball Podcast. I'm the Glasgow Comets, John McKellar. And I'm Jason Durr, former Baseball Scotland President and Baseball Scotland Hall of Famer. Jason, uh, this one is coming out just a few days after the previous episode, uh, which featured part one of our sit-down with Xander Harrison, an excellent episode that we definitely urge everyone to go back and listen to. Part two is coming just shortly, and uh, we've decided that um, after a few discussions back and forth, this is going to be the season finale for season two. Um, what with the COVID-19 issue basically suspending the entire Scottish baseball season being um, the primary reason for this podcast existing, we've decided to call it a day early uh, to work on some other projects that we have going on behind the scenes and uh, content that we're looking forward to both announcing and bringing people in the near future. Uh, we can't get into most of that just yet so we're going to wait a few weeks until we have the go ahead to do so um, but yeah this is going to be the last one for now especially with uh, regards to full episodes yes but let's keep in mind that if baseball does happen in Scotland we will kick the thing right back up again absolutely yeah we'll bring some bonus episodes in the uh, event that there is anything worth uh, talking about in Scottish baseball happening um, but like I say, the main reason for this was to promote Scottish baseball from a week-to-week basis and cover the happenings in the league every week, uh, which there haven't been any of this year. We've done our best to kind of pull decent shows out of our RCs, and uh, for the most part, I think that's been successful and quite enjoyable. Um, but we've just kind of gotten to a point now where uh, we have to, you know, just think about next season. Yeah, we'll be back next season. We'll be back bigger and better. Uh, this off season will be a really good for us to focus on what we want to do and maybe expand our content towards you. Aye, aye, that's certainly in the pipeline. We have Brian Cashman going out and, and offering hundreds of millions to CC Sabathia, AJ Burnett, and Mark Teixeira right now. We're going to load up the lineup and we're going to win it all next year. Well, at least one of us win. The Mariners aren't winning much these days. <laughs> Give them time, a couple more years They'll be fine 2022, 2022, we'll be alright So let's move from 2022 uh, Back to this coming Monday The Major League Baseball Trading deadline is at 4pm Eastern time on Monday And uh, with this being the year that it is Jason, there's uh, Quite the scope for a lot of crazy moves Potentially I don't know how many crazy moves there will be. There, are, there's roughly nine teams that are kind of on the edge. Why well, not? There's there's plenty of teams in the AL that are going to qualify, but there's a couple teams towards the end that could qualify. Baltimore being one of them. Um, I, you know what? I, I decided I think Baltimore should push the chips in because they play in a tough division. So you know why not? If you can get the right moves and spend wisely. Why not push the chips in and make the playoffs in this funny season? You never know what can happen. You're right, you're right. And, you know, who knows when they'll get another chance to be competitive like this, you know, so they should go all in this year. Um, and maybe they'll be the 1997 Marlins and cause a crazy upset. Um, some big names are rumoured to be on the move, such as Mike Clevenger, who's not, obviously, with everything uh, that's happened recently, that much of a surprise, but also Trevor Bauer in Cincinnati. He's uh, rumoured to be one that's on the move. I'm surprised about Maurer. I would have thought Cincinnati had a better baseball team than it did. But, you know, with the, with the short season and people being uh, off for days, 
you know, you never know what's going to happen. The, the good teams are still good, but I thought there'd be a few more surprise teams than there were. Where do you think that Trevor Bauer ends up? Uh, where do you think he'll be playing his baseball come Tuesday? I don't know. That's a good one. Um, I, I mean, why not Toronto? Uh, Toronto, uh, Toronto could make things interesting. Uh, and the, like Baltimore, I mean, they're not going to ask a whole lot for him because he's a free agent. He, he, didn't he say he was going to have uh, sign one year contracts from here on out? I think he did mention something like that. Yeah, um, Bauer's kind of a, an odd guy, man. He's he's kind of a hothead, as was evidenced by the infamous throwing the ball from the mound over the uh, the centre field fence. But he's also kind of a top tier troll at the major league level. Um, with the uh, way he's been the uh, behaving since Major League Baseball banned him from wearing free Joe Kelly cleats on the mound. You mentioned earlier off air about the, the beer. Yes, uh, he, he cracked open a beer after striking somebody out there. So, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know how much is, how good it's going to be to start showing up batters because uh, what it means is uh, next time someone hits a home run off him, they're going to they're gonna do something to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's... he's... He's a bit of a loose cannon and a, quite a character. Um, obviously, one team that is unlikely he will end up at is uh, my New York Yankees. Yeah, I don't think uh, he will end up a Yankee, um, which is surprising. You figure if you're gonna if your goal is to win a World Championship, she should be high up there. But why do you think that is? Well, the there's the beef between him and Garrett Cole that goes back to their college days. It's uh, well documented that Cole and Bauer do not get on, um, and it's. Uh, one of those things where do the Yankees risk upsetting the ace, Garrett Cole, that they're paid all that money to uh, for the pursuit of one championship? I say you go for it. Like I said, a champion's a championship, whether it's a 60-game season or a 162-game season, you do whatever you can to put your team to win. Um, you, you're professional. You put away your pride. I mean, you're looking at four weeks with the guy plus playoffs. Two months you can deal with them if it wins you a championship. Do you think if the if Cashman and the Yankees decide to go for Bauer, do you think that they're sitting down with Garrett Cole and speaking to him about it? Absolutely. Like I said, they paid him all that money. They, they at least have a conversation. I mean, how many conversations do they think they had with Derek Jeter over the years uh, when they wanted <laughs> to bring people in? Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is look back, not even in that, all that far into the distant past, is uh, at 2009. You know, Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez, who at that point couldn't stand the sight of each other, they played on the same side of the infield together every day. And won a championship. You know, if I was Aaron, I'd be mad too. That's the guy that couldn't feel this position at shortstop was playing my spot. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it was a great third baseman as well. It's not like he, <laughs> it's not like he ruined his career by going to third. He was one of the best third basemen in the league. No, no, I know that. It was more just a deal deal with uh, Jeter's poor uh, range at the, around that time. Yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with that. Obviously, Jeter was clutch. Where it, where it battered, which was in the batter's box. But yeah, he did. Um, he had slowed down a bit by there. Uh, and he was never like the greatest shortstop in the world. But you know what? It, it was fine. He did what he did there. I think it was just more of the the East Coast hype of how great he was. And that got him a, a couple more gold gloves than he probably deserved. Quite possibly, yeah. Um, can't argue with his greatness as a captain, however. Uh, let's move on from the trade deadline. And uh, towards part two of our interview with Xander Harrison. 
Now, um, who was your first pick to join the Comets in the original year? So, I don't, we didn't actually do a, a draft-type system. We did... Um, obviously, the, the teams have been switched up a bit since then, but if you remember, we did a, a game that was for a trophy at the end of maybe 2014. Um, right. Yeah, we were, the, we were the 2014 Glasgow Cup winners. Well... Oh no! Do you know what I'm thinking? 2013 now, because I'm I'm thinking back because when we had enough, yeah, it was and it was kind of slated like a a scrimmage game, friendly, um, at the end of the season, and someone someone pulled a trophy out their ass for it. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) so we we got together, and it was I guess it was supposed to be kind of like the the sort of legacy GBA experienced players in a in one team, which then became the Galaxy and the sort of, you know, newer joiners, not necessarily less experienced, but sort of people who'd played elsewhere and joined the club since then, for example, was uh, was would be what was then the Comets. So we played that game. And I played on the Galaxy, if you remember. So That's right. Yeah, so, because it was, it was Glasgow East End was what the other team played as. Uh, yeah, before they changed it. Yeah, that, that was horrendous. Um and um, yeah, it just got to the off season where um, I think we just decided it was probably made sense for me and Jason to split up in that sense, and we would just I would I would run the comets, and I was to be honest extremely apprehensive about it beforehand. But um, I think that year twenty fourteen was was probably the, my favourite year on that team because. We did actually have a good lineup, and we played some decent baseball. At, won the cup, as you mentioned, John, which was great. Um, and I don't know, it was it was kind of like that that roster that we'd always had on the Comets was. Um, I'm trying to find a better word for dysfunctional, but it was. There's always been some dysfunctional characters in that team, but <laughs> yeah, it was one of yeah. those like. It was one of those sort of environments where everyone sort of accepted each other's quirks and etc. Yeah, like we actually got on really well that first year, but obviously when yeah. things weren't going so well on the field, it was hard to watch. It was, I would say, live wires probably is more of a <laughs> maybe not so much dysfunctional, but kind of live wires. Uh, some people have had uh, sort of unpredictable personalities. Then you had like the the really classy and quite professional guys, like the Francis or the the Marco. Um, it was quite a quite a melting pot, I think, that team. And I think that that almost, in a way, was what helped it work that first year. The chemistry between the guys was astonishingly good um, and pretty much from week one. Uh, would you consider the lack of experience that a lot of us had? I mean, that was my first full year, was 2014. Um, and I think, um, Saeed and I have actually touched on your, your impact on that previously on the podcast with your kind of your style of management, I think, was just perfect for that team because you had guys who were quite experienced and quite intense about the baseball. Then you had guys who weren't quite as experienced like myself. And then you had kind of the guys in the middle who had a bit of experience, but also, like you say, were a bit loose cannonish. <laughs> so, like the the way that you managed that by being so laid back on the bench and keeping spirits up, even we could be getting hammered by twelve runs, but you did a really great job of. Keeping spirits up in the banter, the X Man, the X Man banter section, as I believe you called it, um, was always was always just a yeah, that was yeah, that was, that was off Twitter, yeah, yeah, even even uh, 
you know, even when things weren't going so great, we had that reason to come to the ballpark. And I think that that was what helped us to win so many games that first year. And uh, we finished in, I think, the top three. Um, while the Galaxy had a bit of a struggle the first year and finished last place, obviously they flipped that pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, that, that first year, <laughs> that first year of the Comets was unforgettable. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, actually. That was, um, yeah. And as you mentioned, really good team to be a part of. Great bunch of guys. But when we turned it on in the field, it was it was, it was was tremendous to watch at times. There, was, there wasn't many teams that could actually live with us when we played well. This is absolutely true. I mean, we won the first ever derby um, by, I think it was 22-8 or something like that was the score. Uh, I remember yeah. that day. I remember that day well, but not for not for all the best reasons. Um, I, I think I got a particular injury in my first at bat in the in the top of the first. But, yeah, um, um, yeah, the pitcher hit you in the nuts, so that's why we saw. <laughs> if you if you go back to coaching, then that's when you know you're supposed to turn away from the baseball um, rather than to it. And the second <laughs> thing would be to wear a cup, obviously, as well. Yes, and he tells me this now. <laughs> um, I remember well, completely recovered because he has kids now, so we're doing okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I remember that happening because uh, there was a guy who was on the bench, but who I think he was either ill or he got injured before the start of the game. Um, so it was the fella who used to play rugby. I can't remember his name. Um, oh, Craig. Only, yeah, Craig. Yeah, he was the only he was the only sub that we had, and he got injured pre-game. So I can remember. Both first off Bill's reaction, he kind of stood over me and said, uh, "Well, no baby making for you this week. Now take your base." And that kind of very dry Canadian <laughs> sense of humour that he has. And then you oh, kind of yeah. come over like, like, dude, there's like nobody on the bench. I need you to stay in the game <laughs> while oh, I'm screaming and holding my nads. <laughs> um, but we ended up winning that game quite comfortably, and it was the great kind of a great, the perfect kind of launch platform for uh, for that first season. Um, let's go. Let's go towards the next season, and we'll briefly touch on that off season because obviously we lost Francis, we lost Marco, and we lost a couple of other pieces that were quite key to that first year. Um, in between those seasons, how did you? I can I can't imagine it would have been easy to rebuild the team like you did. How did you approach that? Yeah. So. <laughs> As we all know, the, the rebuild for the comments has been on the cards pretty much since then, although I would expect them to do much better. Well, they have been much better at times, but I would expect them to be much better from now on. But, um, yeah, it, it was tricky because you were looking at uh, the comments had a really good season. We didn't necessarily know how many players we were losing, um, although we knew we were losing some. Uh, at the same time, the focus in that off-season went to the Galaxy because um, their record or their, their season was particularly poor that year uh, and it was very evident that they needed, they needed pitching, they needed a catcher. Um, so I think, lo and behold, some of, the, some of the mainstays of the Galaxy that we decided to allocate to them turned up and turned their fortunes around. Really, it was a in terms of being a bit of a lottery, the Comets, in hindsight, lost out on that. Um, so I went with the same kind of strategy of trying to keep the spirits up, um, you know, trying to keep the attitude and the hustle and everything for what we put out on the field. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, you've only, you can only play with the ability that you have. So that's 
for that season and the, the you know the season or two after that we really struggled until the times that we started to get you know the the extra imports like Brian McIntosh and John Nelson on board and that was when the team started to turn around again. It really is a, a lottery in terms of the players that that turn up to practice that are available to play that are reliable and also um, yeah just in terms what what the team needs at the time and what what the position is. Like you say there, Xander, it was kind of, we had some pretty shit luck when it came to the the people that came aboard and the timing of it. Um, did it ever piss you off? Did you ever get to a point where you were finding it more difficult to enjoy baseball yourself? Obviously, you were still playing and you were still a young guy. Um, did, did you ever kind of, did it ever start to affect your enjoyment of the playing side when you had to deal with these these players who you had to manage, but also we weren't doing too well and you also had to focus on your own performance as well? Um, at times it was fairly stressful, I suppose. It was, um, I, I still love doing it. Like if I didn't love doing it, I would I would, I would, have gave it up. Um, in terms of my own performance, it was unfortunate that I wasn't able to train as much, but I felt like I was able to focus and perform enough when we actually played. Um, but there was some, like some days when things were going abjectly wrong that was... Um, yeah, it was a uh, pretty frustration, frustrating, you know, when you get home from the field and um, you're away from everything and you're digesting everything that's gone on on the field, off the field, depending on what's what's happened. I think we'd mentioned in the past that we had some pretty live um, personalities on that team at the time, and occasionally when things weren't going so well, it was. Uh, Sometimes you were in a difficult position of management, and like you said, I was you know relatively young at the time. Um, you know, I, I'd like to say now that I'm a bit older, I would have managed a few things a bit differently. But I guess that's life and that's learning. So uh, back to the question, yeah, I really did. I, I still loved doing it at the time. Uh, you know, thinking back to my performance as well. Obviously, it's much easier to play better when you do have that those reps in practice and that, that chance to focus and you're not coaching people or planning training sessions or hitting fungo all the time. Um, it's much easier, but yeah, in terms of, in terms of the, the frustration, it was never going to take away from me, me wanting to do it. Like if I, if I didn't want to be there, I wouldn't have been. Now, um, to move forward then a couple of years, uh, we've covered sort of the struggles of the Comets uh, in the aftermath of that excellent first season. You departed the Comets, I believe, ahead of the 2017 season when John Nelson took over. I think you might have played part of that season uh, under yep. Nelson, but you moved uh, down to London. Uh, I believe it was for work reasons. Um, talk us through the process of transferring you know, leadership of the Comets from yourself to Nelson. Um and what was going through your head kind of as you left Glasgow baseball, which was something that you had, had been a massive part of your life, as you've said, uh, for over a decade at that point? Um, in terms of the handover to John, it was a bit of a no-brainer. Um, yes, we wanted Gio to be in there still as, as, as an assistant role, but um, in terms of someone who's grown up with the game and has that knowledge, John was, John was the standout candidate. It was just a case of whether or not he wanted to do it. Now, John had been in the country for about a year at the time, and he, he clearly loved he, he loved moving to Scotland. He loved being able to play baseball. You know, his life is here now. So, you know, when I did offer him the the chance, he, he, he jumped at it, and he was he was really happy with it. Um, 
obviously that that didn't last and now I guess he he discovered also the challenges of managing a team within Scottish baseball and particularly managing the Glasgow Comets um but the handover was really clean John was really excited to get involved he was um you know doing all this thing putting extra putting extra training sessions in for batting practice buying buying some some new equipment like batting practice balls and stuff just getting guys down the field three four times a week to practice hitting, to be thrown every day, you know, like a like a baseball team, you know, in the US, let's say, would do. So yeah, that that part was all great in terms of leaving the club. Um, I, I said earlier, I knew that it would be in a better place, which it is now, uh, partially because, you know, I felt in my position, I did, I did have too much on my plate, and I didn't have the sort of delegation abilities time to let some of that stuff go so even though we had volunteers to take on some stuff so now when you look at the way that the club is set up it is it, it's so much better look you've got um you've got the banking system or the, the financial system is much better um you know you're running with you know committees of people who are all operating and acting as equals and have their own accountable areas um which are Sort of key strategic areas for the club and how the club is is um has a culture, you know. When you're looking at the work they've done with the field, the field is nowadays going from the photos. The field is the best I've ever seen it at Glasgow. You know, you've got um you've got a, a decent social committee to keep to keep that that aspect of it going, which was a real which was a real success to sort of keep people gelled together through those seasons about five years or so ago. Um, so I knew that handing that off to the right people was going to be a success. Uh, it was just a case of, again, having the anxiety of whether or not people would be willing to go that extra mile. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm obviously really pleased with, you know, the commitment or the extra commitment that Jason's put in, the extra commitment that John Tafe's put in. Um, the people that have joined since then have been fantastic, like Andy Sweeney, Fiona, um, Andy Vaughan, just to put into the club. Um, so that people get the most out of it they can has has been tremendous. So, yeah, I, I can't thank those guys enough for actually, you know, making me leave with a with a clear conscience and and making it much better than it than it was in the last few years. Uh, you didn't retire from playing baseball by any means. You are still active today, and that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So, um part of the London Mets organisation and I yeah. play on their double A team which is called the London Musketeers or I should say one of the double A teams we have um, we now have eight teams within the club who all play at various divisions within BBF How do you find playing baseball down south uh, after a lifetime of playing it up here? Are there many differences or is it about the same level? Um, how would you say that that can, kind of compares to the experience of playing up here? Um, in terms of the level, it's uh, they've got levels to cater for everyone. Um, you know, one of the main advantages of the experience down here for for everyone is that people are generally on a field with players that are of the same experience. And touching back on when I mentioned that we were looking at one of the goals being actually getting people to participate in the game to keep the to keep the head above water, you ended up. Yeah, with a lot of experienced players on the same field as you know players with a lot less experience as as we've alluded to. So, 
Um, the fact that everyone's sort of playing at their level, generally speaking, is great. It's great for improving players. It's great for competitiveness. But the main difference, I would have to say, honestly, is the the facilities down here. The um, so the London Mets organisation have got, for example, they've got two little league diamonds, which um, you know they can rent out for softball teams. But they've also got the adult baseball diamond, which has um, let's say the proper infield so the actual the dot around the second and third and first base area like that and it's really well maintained with the equipment that they have uh, they also have three batting cages and a pitching machine um, so you know just something like that would be absolutely groundbreaking in the Scottish game and you know every team um, around the South England area so you're talking about that's all of a sudden what, 30, 40 teams at least all have their own purpose-built field, for example. So the facilities um, to actually play the game and to help you practice the game are, are you know, head and shoulders above. And I think when we, when we spoke about developing the game in Scotland when it comes to keeping the participation levels up, and that's the key factor, I would say that we're probably, probably beyond that now in the Scottish game and that would be the next thing to aim at and I know that there's been a lot of steps taken to actually you know build extra facilities if you look at you know yeah, Jason West who moved to Tayport and has built a field there for the new team there um, you know since I left Steve Evans in Aberdeen built them a field um, you know just things like that is going in the right direction and that's what we should be aiming for to, to help grow and develop the game and then hopefully with extra participation, you can get more competitive baseball and, you know, different leagues or different divisions. Uh, I, th I don't think it's unrealistic to aim for that within the within the Scottish baseball setup. But when when you see that down here, that that is the main difference, I would say. And it creates better satisfaction, I would say, for everyone, depending on, um, like, regardless of the skill level. So uh, we're going to let you go shortly because we've kept you quite a while this evening, Xander. Um, just one last question. Um, what's your favourite story uh, from your time playing baseball in Scotland? Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> uh, I've actually been caught a bit off guard by that one. Um, <laughs> because there's just too many. I would need to... Um, You know, probably, yeah, probably my favourite stories are just any time that we played a, a Galaxy and Comets derby game, to be honest, because um, I don't know if, if Jason, you ever managed to get down and see any of those, but they were um, they were pretty special just in terms of um, not necessarily standard of baseball. It was it was it was really like the rivalry that just precluded any reasonable baseball from being played. <laughs> but yeah, just some of the just some of the incidents you would see would just be like completely far fetched. I remember, um, I remember, for example, Geo and Geo Kilter and Andy Craig having an argument at home plate after something happened at home plate. There was some incident. Um, I remember, I remember one one game where I remember one game where I was on first base and we had a runner on third base. And I decided to take off while the pitcher was in his in a set position to steal second base. 
Um, and I get thrown out at second base for the umpire to call me safe when I was out by about 10 feet for then the, the runner on third base to try and get home who slid in was clearly safe by about 10 feet and get called out. <laughs> and meanwhile, meanwhile they were arguing about that and I had been called safe when everyone thought I was out. I decided to jog over to third base because no one called time. And then the very next play got picked off. Um, and in my head, I was clearly safe because um, I think the guy dropped the ball and everything. So called out for the third out and the ball's lying on the mound and I've ran over and I've booted it into the outfield and the umpires kept and the umpires kept me in the game. And <laughs> that game was that game was pretty crazy. I think we were up by like five five runs to nothing and a, the Galaxy sort of squeezed it back and eventually won thirteen eight or something. It was pretty back and forward. Pretty bad baseball to be honest, but um yeah, just really heated moments, and obviously, as we said, it was always very competitive. But when the game was finished and we got off the field or down the pub, it was, um, you know, it was just a laugh. And I really, I missed that social side of. Uh, I really missed the social side of it back, sort of around 2015, 16, that kind of period where he did have a lot of sociable, outgoing characters, and it was just a great bunch of people to be around. So, so yeah, I really do miss it. But you know. Never say never when, you know, could be back at some point. I hope so, man. I hope to see you pull on the jersey again. You mentioned Andy Craig and Geo's spat behind home plate. Do you remember the time we played the Galaxy? And uh, I don't know, I don't remember what the score was, what the situation was. But I was playing, I was in left field at the time. And Andy Craig was on deck. Now, I think his fiance at the time called him on the phone and he disappeared behind the trees and started chatting away. Like, I remember that, yeah. Our, our picture, I think. Were you on the mound, actually? No, it wasn't me pitching, but I remember no, he came back. He finished his calling like, time and he came, he came into the batter's box on two strikes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 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 and then he went absolutely shit because he was like, you can't do that, you can't do that. And then there was a guy playing for the Galaxy who only showed up a couple of times and he was screaming. He was playing first base. The guy with the red beard. Um, I don't remember his name, but like, he was screaming at the umpire like he's got five minutes or something, like five seconds. <laughs> he kept screaming like he's got this amount of time and Bill was just like, no, I'm not having it. It's straight two. <laughs> yeah, that was... Yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah, there were some crazy, crazy moments in, uh, in Glasgow. Well, because I remember... Yeah, because I remember they did the whole bet where Gio, because Gio was a Red Sox fan and Andy was a Yankees fan, and I think the losing team had to wear their rival team's jersey or whatever. So, <laughs> like your comments won that one, and Andy had to get immortalized on Facebook on a wearing a Red Sox jersey, and it was <laughs> I think that was also the same day that one of the one of the Bell Hill guys like Johnny Keir stole Jason's glove. And um, oh, and made <laughs> and a Facebook, Facebook yeah, made a Facebook profile for it. Actually, that was that that was uh, that was on my feed last week because it was its birthday recently. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going back and finding all that because it was they'd taken all these photos of it sitting, you know, with a beer and they've stuck a fag in one of the holes and like Watching put naked bodies next to it and shit. Yeah, that was funny, man. <laughs> yeah, I still don't even I don't even think he ever got that glove back. To be honest. <laughs> Given the nature of some of the pictures, I don't know if he necessarily wanted it back. <laughs> God knows where Johnny's put it. 
<laughs> Jason, do you have anything else you want to ask Xander while he's here? Uh, no, you guys covered a lot. It was really interesting to kind of hear the, a lot of the stories. Remember that? Um, I was, you know, curious to how things work down south. You covered that really well. Uh, uh, do you find it interesting when you feel see guys have played up the Scottish League that have come down and, and joined the Mets, the teams down there, and kind of have a nice little laugh about uh, here we are now down in London playing baseball down here? Yeah, occasionally. So I've, um, I'm in contact quite a bit with uh, two guys that used to be in your team, Jason, like Brian Deere and then Louis Wampler. Or, um, yeah. So... So I'm the I'm the manager of the double A team now. Brian's running the triple A team. So we have a lot of dialogue and um and Louis plays for the London Capitals NBL team and uh, you know I see him around sometimes. So yeah, we always do have those memories <laughs> and bring back. I don't think I don't think any of the three of us really played that often while we were all in Scotland, like in the same field. Um, you know, another couple of guys that I have spoke to that played up there was I think Arik um Arik who played for the Giants yep. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen him around. I believe he plays for AAA also. Um so yeah, it's um it's weird because it's a small world at times, right? It's uh who would have thought that would uh that would all come together. Yeah, I know. You wouldn't have played much. I think each of those guys played for maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, so it would have been quite brief there. But yeah, uh uh, it's always nice to hear. Like, I hear from uh, Lewis and uh, every once in a while, and he's like, yeah, you got another Scottish guy down here playing here. <laughs> well, let's say uh, we'll wrap it up there. Xander, thank you so much, mate, for coming on. Uh, it's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you again. Uh, you're, you're sorely missed among the Comets bench, um, and hopefully we'll see you up here again someday soon. Um, yeah. All the best with whatever the uh, COVID-shortened 2020 season has in store for your guys and the Musketeers. Um and yeah, just uh, just keep just keep taking them to Hollywood. Yep, uh, I never stopped anyway. But yeah, thanks for having me, guys, and um, give my best to all to all the guys still up there. Brilliant, thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. So we're back with you, and uh, again, that was part two of our two part sit down with Xander Harrison, the original uh, Glasgow Comets coach, um, current manager of the London Musketeers at AA level down south one of the best players I've ever played alongside and uh, just an all-round great guy. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed those parts. Uh, we certainly did. Uh, I know I speak for myself when I say that, Jason. Yeah, I, I always had a good time playing against Xander. He was uh, always level-headed, uh, had this team at uh, best interest, win or lose, and uh, I, you know, I, nothing but best luck to him down south. Definitely, and hopefully, as he alluded, we'll get to see him pull on a Glasgow Comets or at the very least a Scotland jersey again sometime. Uh, let's move on to the close for the last time this season. Jason, what do you have for the listeners on this day in baseball history? So we're going to do two today because uh, I thought these were pretty cool. So in 1985, Dwight Gooden became the first, uh, the youngest 20-game winner when he was at 20 years, 9 months, and 9 days. So uh, that was 27 days younger than uh, Indian trailer Bob Feller, who originally did it in 1939. Uh, and then the other one is in 1986, Mark McGuire hit his first home run against Walt Terrell at the Tiger Stadium. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny um, because both of those moments are connected to things we talked about last week. Um, off air last week, we were talking about Dwight Gooden and how dominant he was in the mid-80s. And then obviously Mark McGuire factored into... Um, the first part of this uh, two-parter, 
when he was uh, mentioned alongside Babe Ruth as the two other guys uh, that had hit. They were the three guys who hit 200 home runs in a four-year yes. four span up to the point, which was, I believe, 1999, yeah? Exactly. So that's so odd that those, those two are both involved in that. Um, there was actually a third moment in this uh, day in baseball history that I think we should mention. Um, it was a, a special exhibition game between Hollywood stars and the media at Dodger Stadium on the 25th of August, 1979. Uh, Robin Williams, who at the time was in the Mork and Mindy, which was one of my favourite TV shows growing up. Um, obviously, he plays an alien in that show. He ran the bases backwards. Uh, <laughs> and he explained that uh, circling the bags uh, backwards is very common on the planet Ork, uh, which, of course, is where Mork was from in the show. So I just thought that was uh, amazing and worth mentioning. And obviously... Um, Robin Williams, a legendary comedian and a great actor. Absolutely. That was definitely worth uh, this day in baseball for uh, an additional one. Uh, where can the listeners find more of that kind of content during our hiatus, Jason? So you can find my daily history post on Bubble and Baseball on all social media channels. And of course, if you're needing any jerseys, you go to dugoutclassics.com and we'll sort you out. And of course, you can also find the show at the Anchor homepage, anchor.fm slash pipes. We're also on both Facebook and Twitter. Just search Ball Caps and Bagpipes on Facebook or search at Caps and Pipes on Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter at John Caps Pipes. And of course, you can hear the show wherever you, your podcast provider of choice. We're pretty much everywhere. Um, please do binge the first two seasons of Ball Caps and Bagpipes until we're back on. Um, hopefully, we'll have some word about uh, one or two of the irons that we have in the fire in the next couple of weeks. And uh, very excited to potentially expand the content that we're bringing the listeners, uh, Jason. I'm very excited for what's coming up this off season and fingers crossed we get somewhat of a scholar season. Yep. Uh, hopefully we'll get some kind of a tournament. Um, you know, it's possibly Kent might still be happening and we'll see if uh, we can get a Scottish team or two uh, involved in that. But again, uh, as we've covered ad nauseum over the past uh, several weeks, it really all still lies with the government and uh, what they deem to be safe. And uh, safety, obviously, as has been, you know, drummed home quite a bit, is the priority and should be. So uh, all we can do is uh, wait for the go-ahead and uh, hopefully we'll get a full season in in 2021. Fingers crossed. And if not, we'll see you guys next season. <laughs>